Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey Podcast by the Faithful and for the Faithful. I'm Bruce McCurdy with the Cult of Hockey, and I'm here with my colleague, Kurt Levins. Hello, Kurt. Hello, Bruce. I think this is the first for you and I one-on-one uh, Cult of Hockey podcast. Sure is. Sure is. Nice having an ace in the hole when, uh, when David goes away, and uh, or when I go away, as you filled in for me when I was on the island in the beginning of the season. And you're I can be the... Uh, I can be the cult of hockey curler. I'll be the spare for both of you. Right. Well, that's nice to have a third, that's for sure. And you're out there on Pender Island. How's the weather out there on Pender? It's been lovely for the last three weeks. Well, I know Edmonton's kind of started to dive into a little bit of cold and some of the snow. Uh, I, uh, I could cut the grass here. It's, it's oh. lovely and green and mild. So sorry to report. Still swimming? A uh, little cold for swimming now, but uh, but I'm still out in the deck with a cup of coffee every morning. So. Well, I was out in Vancouver Island there last month, and that is a beautiful part of the world. So I envy you that. So tonight we have good things to talk about. We have another resounding victory for the good guys and Oilers who pounded the Colorado Avalanche to the tune of 6-2. to two. Uh, The third time in the last four games that the Oilers have stomped an opponent by four goals. Uh, which is a very pleasant change of pace from, uh, well, I mean, I don't mind tight games, but uh, it's, it's nice to get a breather once in a while, and we've had a few of late, which we'll talk more about here in the end. But for now, we've got lots of good things to talk about, including uh, uh, big nights from uh, several of the Order stars, and some more underrated contributions from uh, other players scattered throughout the lineup. So. As usual, we do two good things, two bad things, and two numbers. But also, as it's becoming usual, in very good nights, we are going to do two good things each. So it'll actually be four good things. So I'm going to give you the first dips, Kurt, on what, what was a good thing that stood out for you in this game. Okay, well, as we know, uh, the Avalanche got off to an early one nothing lead, and I think probably a lot of us were going, ooh. Because I don't know about you, Bruce, but I was worried about this game because Colorado's a good club. Despite injuries, they've been playing great, uh, and uh, this will be a real test for this club. And at one nothing, I really wasn't sure where it was going to go. Uh, but then two things happened. One was the Zach Cassian hit on Nate McKinnon. And McKinnon is not a small man, and Cassian just ran right over him like a locomotive. And I didn't think McKinnon was the same the rest of the night, really. I don't know how, how you felt, Bruce, but I, I really thought it took the wind out of his sails. Um, then the orders took a penalty, and I thought, well, that could be bad. If we go down 2 nothing. I don't want to be chasing against this team. But you know what? The PK uh, was perfect on that first period uh, kill, as they were the rest of the night. They went 0-5. I think they're 17 for 17 uh, wow. o- over, their, over their last, um, I think it's four games uh, now. And so it seemed to me that the Cassian hit against the Avalanche best player along with a PK, which stopped the bleeding in a one nothing game, turned the momentum and then handed the puck over to uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl, and they kind of did the rest. So that was my good thing, was the, the Cassian head and the PK turning the tide uh, early in the okay. first period. Okay, yeah, all right. To the Cassian hit, um, did you think it crossed the line in any way? No, I didn't think so at all. I mean, it's... Uh, McKinnon was far enough away from the boards. Uh, I, I saw I saw 
No contact with the head. Cassian's elbow didn't come up. I didn't think it was a charge. Uh, and and I'd say, gauging by the way McKinnon reacted, um, I imagine he didn't think so either, although I think he was rather busy shaking out some some, some cobwebs at the time. Of course, a fight ensued, but, uh, but I mean, uh, Cassian had the reach and the weight advantage in, in that fight, and it didn't really end up much of a scrap, at least... Uh, from an avalanche standpoint, is uh, Cassie and cleaned that up pretty, pretty tidily as well. Yeah, well, Matt Kelvert, he's a player I've admired actually for a long time. As a just an honest grinder, uh, I, I enjoy him when he played with Columbus uh, for many years. And you got to give him points for courage. Going Absolutely, because I mean he's fighting outside of his weight class against Cassie. He was the closest guy, and Cassian. Uh, really clobbered, you know, their best player, or certainly one of their very best players. And so uh, the line I think that it maybe crossed from a Colorado perspective was not that it was an illegal or dirty hit, but it was just the violence of them. I think players have a standard, like some fans say, hey, that was a clean hit, why are they always fighting not the clean hits? But the, I think the fights happen after the particularly heavy hits where mm-hmm. a vulnerable player gets smoked, and that's that's basically what happened there. McKinnon stopped up and, and Cassian didn't. And uh, holy moly, that was a hell of a collision. Very, very early in the game. Yeah, it sure was. One of a couple of big ones that Cassian and the, dished out on and the And the fight actually cancelled the two-on-one that uh, McDavid and Dreisaitl had going the other way. So I was temporarily annoyed. But uh, yeah. uh, that annoyance went away very quickly. Uh, my good thing, how can it not be uh, Connor McDavid tonight? And he was front and center, uh, and he wound up being involved in all six of the Edmonton goals, three goals, three assists, sort of very even uh, involvement of dishing the puck, and also just enough selfishness. And I am happy, happy, happy to see this with David. That can fly with that great wrist shot of his from range. Mm-hmm. And he, he's been overpassing in the view of my myself and, and many other people have said the same thing. And McDavid even has self-criticized himself at times, saying, yeah, yeah, I passed or I should have shot. And tonight he had the shoot-first mentality, and all three of his goals came on the power play, and all three of them came from distance, like yeah. probably 25, 30 feet out, and he just blew away the poor netminder there, what's his name, uh, Adam Werner playing his second career game, and he has to go up against the likes of Connor McDavid, and uh, he came out second best in that contest. Yeah, he had but, a shutout in his first game, right? <laughs> he had a shared shutout. It was a bizarre thing. It was like kind of like the Ernie Shore perfect game in baseball, where he came in 31 <laughs> seconds into the game after uh, uh, Francis had been injured in a goal-mouth collision. So he didn't get the start. And he faced all 40 shots that Winnipeg took and stopped them all. But the team got a shutout and he didn't. But that was a very memorable debut for Werner and a very forgettable uh, second game, or at least he probably hopes he forgets it soon because uh, he got lit up pretty good tonight. And those three uh, McDavid goals were really three three very different ones too. I mean, uh, one was kind of a shot from the side. One, one he broke in off the wall and the other one he just kind of flew in off the rush and and split the defense and shot. So all three were kind of different spots on the ice, but I'm, I'm with you. It's nice to see him shooting and being just a wee bit selfish. Six shots tonight uh, for McDavid, uh, but also, you know, plenty of passes. I mean, he got three assists for starters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this was one night, I mean, 
most of this year on, on many nights, even when they're playing well, I've seen Leon Dreisaitl as McDavid's equal or even the better player on many nights. Uh, but tonight, even though Leon almost kept up in the points department with five assists, it was Connor's night and he was the driver. And Leon actually got a couple of cheap points for a change. And I mean, he played well, but I think Connor was just head and shoulders the best player on either team in this game. And hats off, he had a phenomenal performance and six points, a career high to show. Yeah, well, four in the first period, six over two. I wondered if Sam Gagne was sitting upstairs in the press box wondering if his if his tied record was going to be in danger tonight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway, out of all that, what have we got for uh, what do you got for a bad thing tonight, Kirk? Uh, well, as much as I just praised the Oilers penalty kill, which really has been excellent lately and primarily staffed by players that typically play bottom six minutes, they still can't score. Uh, and tonight, Riley Shane, who was excellent, played over five minutes, I think it was, on the PK. But offensively, just can't get anything going. Um, and uh, Archibald, I thought, was the same. Was very good in the PK, but really got nothing done up on that second line with Nugent Hopkins and, uh, and Neil, uh, five on five. And uh, Jujar Kara, again, I think puts in a very good off effort on the penalty kill. You know, he's a big man with a good reach, skates quite well. Uh, but boy, when the puck hits his stick, JJ just struggles. And so I admire the defensive effort they put in, but at some point those guys just have to chip in, um, certainly more consistently than they have been in the first 21 games. Yeah, not so much as a shot attempt for Kara tonight. Archibald, to his credit, had a couple of shots and a couple of missed shots, and at least he was firing away, and he had three hits, a mm -hmm. couple of block shots. Like, he was involved all over the ice, but his finishing touch, yep. boy, got a chance in the slot. That was when he turned into, um, I can't remember what I said to my wife, I, I think I called him Keystone Cops, one of those bottom six lines at one time, and it looked like <laughs> they had a surefire chance to put one in the net, and they found a way to screw it up. <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, when your big guys get six, your bottom bottom six's job is to do what they did, which is kill penalties and limit the damage going the other way. So it's, it's hard to be too critical, but it would be nice to get a little more scoring from down there, i got to agree. Yep. For my bad thing, I'm just going to go with just the way the orders ended the periods sides game. And in the first, second, even the third period, which of course was completely garbage time, the last minute, they took a penalty in the dying seconds of all three periods. And mm -hmm. it was just a fire drill, both before and after the penalty, and especially those first two periods, where uh, uh, they just couldn't get out of their own way, let alone get the puck out of their end. And, and uh, it was chase, chase, chase. I mean, they had two video reviews in the last 20 seconds of the first period. Mm -hmm. One where Mike Smith sat on a puck that was basically right on the goal line, and who knows whether it squibbed over or not. I mean, one thing he covered was all camera angles to see where that puck actually was. I think the and word then, is inconclusive on that one. Yeah, eh? yeah, yeah. The refs didn't call it a goal on the ice and there was no chance they were going to overturn it on the replay. And then uh, there's 17 seconds left in the period or something and you think, okay, we're going to get to the buzzer now, no problem. And it was just a, another fire drill. And Nazem Kadri scored about 0 0.2 seconds after the green light went on at the end of the period. It was an easy review in the end, but it was close. I mean, it was just a couple of tenths. 
Yeah. But uh, again, it was a, a case where they, you know, they just couldn't win that one decisive puck battle to relieve the stress. And again, the second period, same thing, right, right down the stretch was, you know, fire drill, penalty, more fire drill, and just getting to the buzzer. And, and what you see mature teams do, Kurt, is uh, especially when they're uh, when they're leading or playing in tie games, uh, they get through those last minutes of the period, and they may not make a lot happen, but they don't give up a lot. And that's that's an area where maybe the orders need to mature a little at least. Yeah. Thanks. I, I would I would agree. I thought they were better in that regard in the third period, but again, it's the game's out of reach by that point, and I I completely concur with the two instances that you describe at the end of the first two periods. So. Yeah, yeah, funny. They got three, five penalties tonight, Edmonton, and three of them came at uh, 1924, 1955, and 1937. <laughs> when they're just hanging on by their chinny-chin-chins. Well, they kept so. starting the next period, you know, with a significant penalty to kill, but they got through them, and as you say, the penalty killers got the job done, so uh, mm-hmm. hats off to those guys. What do you got for a number tonight, Kurt? Uh, my number tonight, Bruce, is uh, 96. Wow. 96. Uh, of course, the Oilers um, uh, 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 came out in a big way in the first period, and, and Connor McDavid had four points in the first period alone, as we alluded to off the top of the podcast. Um, the last time an Oiler had four points after the first period was in 1996, and it was Jason Arnott. Uh, that night against the Montreal Canadiens had 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 four points in the first 20 minutes of play. Uh, and so it's been some time since we've seen that kind of an offensive explosion from from any oiler. And a lot of good players have have gone under the bridge between uh, now and then. So uh, it's a, a feat of some distinction, I would suggest. I guess Jason must have been into it that night. eh? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> His infamous comment, I just wasn't into it, though. One night, he was just speaking what was on his mind, but man, that actually uh, greased the skids for him leaving town, I think. He, uh, he took so much ball back on, the, on that. Yep. So, unfortunate. So, I've got, for a number, uh, I've actually got a couple of numbers. Uh, I have 1755 and 1658. And that was the ice time tonight for Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. Ah. And you know what? It is four games in a row for both players to be under 20 minutes, uh, which all year they had like one game each where they were under 20. And a lot of games where they were 23, 25, even pushing north at 27 a couple of times. And I thought their play was flagging at times as a result of that heavy, heavy use. Mm-hmm. You keep thinking, well, one of these nights we're going to get a blowout one way or the other, and these guys are going to get to uh, uh, catch their wind a little bit. Well, now we've got four blowouts in a row, three the good way, one the bad way. And, you know, in those last four games, uh, McDavid has averaged under 18 minutes a night, and Leon just barely over 18 minutes a night, so far below the league-leading totals that they've compiled till now. And, you know, it's showing well on them. Uh, I mean, McDavid on the season, he's, he's played five games below 20 minutes, and in those five games, seven goals, nine assists, mm. four blowout wins for the Oilers. So, I mean, obviously, uh, the one leads to the other. They score early, and they can, they can 
take a rest down the down the stretch a little bit. We, I mean, we saw it in spades tonight when uh, Tippett benched him on the last power play of the game, and you know, just gave him the, the rest of the night off kind of thing as reward for the, the great effort. So of course, I think. A, of course, a big switch for Drysaddle because he only he was only on the ice for 30 seconds of PK time tonight. So that that's a big change over the last few games, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, particularly since Sheehan has come back. That's that's been a real switch for him. Um, and as you say, if they can get a few games like that in a row where they're not over 20 minutes, they're going to have one of those games where they really need to ride them heavy, uh, and they'll be fresh as opposed to last year. Every time. You know, Hitch was running both of those horses awfully hard all year because he kind of had to. Uh, and some nights we watched them just run out of gas. Yeah. And so, yeah, I agree. This is a harbinger, I think, of good things to come. Yeah, well, they played four games in seven days now. And they're each just around 72 minutes, which, you know, that's three games worth of work for those guys at many points in the season. So I'm thinking that their batteries, if they're not fully recharged, they're a lot of the way back. Yeah, agree. Um, to uh, to maximum, and as you say, uh, there will be nights. Obviously, not every game is going to be a three or four goal blowout, but uh, uh, there will be games where they're going to have a little bit more, a little bit more juice, uh, just you know, a little more jump in their step and keep it into deep in the game. And as you say, I mean, sometimes see those guys play 23, 25 minutes, and then just towards the very end of the game is is. When you need that extra little burst, it's just maybe not there. And so I think this bodes very well. And it's just nice to see the team get in the habit of kicking the crap out of the other team once in a while, as opposed <laughs> to hanging on and needing a big save or a goal post in the dying uh, yeah. seconds. I agree with that. Win. And let's say three, three, four goal wins in the last four games were the first, I think the first three of the entire year where they beat an opponent by that much. So. Mm-hmm. Let's enjoy it. I mean, that obviously won't last forever, but it's just nice to see them get a taste of, of jumping on, on top of the team early and just building on the lead and putting a game out of doubt so that the, uh, the third period is garbage time. And that's really what you want is garbage time with a big lead. Yeah, absolutely. And thought Caleb Jones was calm and collected and played a very uh, non-high event game, which is probably what you want your first game up from the AHL. Very quiet, and, and that's, uh, uh, I said to my wife in the third period, I thought, I barely noticed the guy, and when you're talking about defensemen, David talked about this the other day, not noticing a defenseman is, is mainly a good thing, not noticing a forward, not so much, but uh, yep. Jones, uh, you know, he didn't get into any trouble, and given that, it was interesting too, the ice time for the two of them, considering he was playing with flat ball, Oscar played 27 minutes and 30 seconds, and Caleb Jones played 14 minutes and 40 seconds, so the highest and lowest on the team. Now, Oscar, of course, big chunk of that. In fact, over 10 minutes of that was on special teams. And he's a yeah, big, big yeah. muncher on both special teams. 545 PK strength, and 424 in the power play. And even strength, it was 17 to uh, uh, 17 to 14 kind of switch. So Oscar did get a few extra minutes, but uh, I didn't look at it figure out exactly why he, you know, where they differed, where maybe Oscar got extra shifts or he just stayed out a little longer or, or what have you. But uh, somehow they uh, uh, they managed to get through that where, uh, uh, you know, Oscar, 
he's faced a big challenge this year in that he's 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 not had a partner at any point where you would say, well, that guy is a, a, a solid, proven NHL top four right defenseman. Yep, right? agreed. He's had a veteran defenseman and Chris Russell playing his wrong side, and he's had a couple of rookies, and uh, he's uh, uh, you know he's treading water some nights, but some nights he's carrying his partner too. I mean, I've seen I thought a couple games where he was uh, cleaning up a few messes for uh, the old Harrison in particular. Yeah, certainly in terms of time on ice, he's been the club's number one defenseman all year. So, yeah, yeah, Nurse and, and Bear maybe play a little more at even strength, but like I say, mm -hmm. Oscar is munching big, big minutes on both special teams. So, yeah, uh, that makes that contract look like a good deal, doesn't it, Bruce? When you see that kind of time on ice coming from Oscar, fourth in the league, I think he is for Dina, or fifth. He's, he's right up there with a with a very top workhorses in the league in terms of yep. lifetime. And even tonight with a blow, you might think, well, maybe they'll do the same thing with Oscar that they would with uh, Connor and Leon and give him, a, give him a breather. What He played 27 and a half minutes. So this they kept rolling him out there. <laughs> of course, a D-man, he can, he can pick his spots a little bit more. It's possible to, uh, yep. uh, as our friend Lowtide says, sometimes sit in a rocking chair and, and play defense. And I mean, Chris Pronger, we used to watch that guy play 29 or 30 minutes, and so it didn't seem like he'd work up a sweat, but he could sure, you know, he could sure turn on the Jets for five seconds when he needed to. But uh, yeah. a large part, it's just a matter of being in the right place and controlling the, 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 the tempo of the game and, you know, dealing with, dealing with emergencies as they arrive. And Oscar had three assists tonight to boot, so uh, he, uh, he was a big contributor in, in this game. Yeah, he'd gone quiet points-wise in a while, but last uh, last few games he's been back at it again. So, yeah, twelve games without a point, and then uh, or eleven, and then the twelfth game he got a couple assists in Anaheim, and then three more tonight. And one statistical oddity—I mean, there's one game in between, but they beat Anaheim six-two on Sunday on a hat trick by McDavid, two goals from Nugent Hopkins, one from mm. Cass, and tonight they beat Colorado. Same score, six to two. Same goal scores. McDavid three, RNH two, Cassian one. Well, Rinse, pretty, repeat. <laughs> pretty strange uh, to see that many goals. I mean, often you'll see a team get you know two goals in two two straight games, and it'll be the same goal scores. But six is a lot of goals to have an identical distribution. So, just one of those odd little um, weird things. So, any final thoughts, Chris? Um, you know what? Only that when I, I kind of mentioned a while ago that I, I was a little worried about this game tonight. I think a lot of the reason why I was worried was because of the avalanche of speed. Even with a couple of the really good players, though, this is still a fast club. Um, but I didn't see the Oilers having any real struggles keeping up with that pace tonight. Now, I think Dave Tippett adjusted his lineup accordingly and, and put all of his, you know, his his quickest of foot players in, but I was I was pleased with how the Oilers were able to keep up, keep up with the Avalanche's pace tonight because I felt that would be their biggest challenge. Well, just to name four guys that haven't been every night players for the Oilers this year: uh, Gaetan Haas, uh, Joachim Niegaard, uh, Josh Archibald, and Caleb Jones. 
all yep. speedy, all speedy guys, and it's a faster team with those guys. Certainly with them all in the lineup, uh, team speed is no longer uh, uh, the issue that it can be and has been in years past. Mm -hmm. I think that was a, a real target of Ken Holland this summer, getting some more speed throughout the lineup. So yeah, I think that was the only other kind of thing I, I, I spotted on tonight. How about you? Uh, mostly that they, you know, they just put it to bed so early that it was just a matter of, and I mean, both teams knew it. Colorado, with all their injuries, they knew they weren't coming back mm -hmm. in this game. And Rick so, was pretty quiet, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it got, it, got, it got pretty quiet in the third. Yeah. Um, but uh, being in command, like I say, that's, uh, that's where you want to be. So uh, next up is uh, Red Hot Down the Stars on Saturday afternoon, another 2 o'clock uh, Saturday afternoon home game, uh, which is uh, something they're trying different this year. And uh, that will be a big test for the Oilers as well on Saturday. I think you and I will be doing that one as well because David's off to uh, Calgary for a hockey tournament. He's coaching this weekend. He plays and coaches. I don't know how he finds time to do all the other stuff he does, like, you know, his day job and uh, all the stuff he does for the cult of hockey. And have, you know, anyway. Um, well, if, if he's spending part of the weekend in Calgary, Bruce, I'd say you and I won the toss. <laughs> yeah, that's right. You're on Penn Island. You're really, uh, really coming out on top in this exchange. But yeah, well, you don't have to go to Calgary. So that's, uh, we can just. Uh, Keep the home fires burning, and we'll have another podcast on uh, Saturday afternoon. And uh, look forward to uh, uh, to uh, seeing you there. So for now, thanks for uh, talking to us tonight, Kurt. It's been fun, Bruce. Thanks a bunch. All right. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.